And there was a lot of fanfare about this shiur that was going to get started. And he goes there the first week. And there are 20 people there. 20 people there. He's amazed. Wow, 20 people came to the shiur. And he gives the shiur, and it's live, and it's vibrant. And he keeps coming every week. After a few months, he's down to about 15 people. But there are a steady 15 people. And he keeps going another couple of weeks, a few more months. He's down to about 10 people. But these 10 are committed. These 10 are serious shear-goers. And a few months later, he's down to six. But this Rav, he gives it with the same energy, the same enthusiasm as he gave when there were 20 people there. And these six are Kabua people, and that's fine with him. Well, about two months later, there are three people coming to the shear. But this Rav is giving it with the same, same energy. Right? As if he's speaking to a whole auditorium there, and it's great. And then, a few weeks later, one of the three, well, his wife wasn't well, so he couldn't come. And then another one needed to do some traveling. He started missing. And he's down to one guy. And he's giving this shear with energy. He's alive. It's great. And this guy is there. And this guy is soaking it in. And everyone's amazed that he's giving this shear the same way because there's only one guy there. Well, week went by, another week, another week, and it happened. This guy couldn't make it that week. And a person felt very bad for the rub, so he wanted, you know, he just walked by, and he walks by, and he hears the rub in the room there giving a sheer and explaining, right? and he's, say, wow, it must be a bunch of people showed up. He peeks in the door, and he sees there's not a single person in the room. And the rub's going at it. He's explaining. Maybe he didn't understand, and he says it again. You know. And this person's looking at this rub, and finally he gets at the guts, and he goes over to him and says, uh, excuse, ex- excuse me, Rabbi, but there's no one here. So the rabbi looks at him and he says, what? Because one guy didn't show up, I shouldn't give the shear? What's the matter with you? <laughs> Anyhow, Anyhow, imagine you've got the director of an orphanage. Okay, this guy is in charge of hundreds of children. And they're all ages three, four, five, and six. He's in charge of these kids. And he orders what needs to be there, and he hires the staff. And he's in charge of everything, and he's experienced, he's been doing it for years. This man knows how to run an orphanage. All of a sudden, people notice that the children, they're they're not being fed. (laughs) They're they're not being fed. So they quickly go to the director, and they say to him, "What what are you doing? How are you running this place? And he says, well, (laughs) I've been sitting here in my office, and I've been waiting for the children to come to me, and discuss the problem with me, and to ask me to do these different things for them, and they haven't come. Since they haven't come, I'm not going to give it to them. Obviously, this guy is very, very far off base. If you're taking care of these kids, you don't have to wait for them to ask. What do these kids know? You know what they need. You know what's good for them. 
and you've got to supply it to them. And if it's good for them and they don't ask, you've got to give it to them. And if it's not good for them and they all come to you and start asking you for it, you don't give it to them. It's clear that this director of the orphanage has to know what the kids need and has to give it to them. Let's think of a father for a moment. A father is sitting in his study trying to do his work and his kid comes in and says, I want some candy. And the father says, I'm sorry. Um, First of all, you didn't ask nicely. Second of all, you're disturbing me while I'm trying to do my work. Third of all, it's bad for your teeth. Fourth of all, you have to eat supper soon. You can't have candy. I'm sorry, son. But I want candy. No, 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 sorry, can't have candy. But I want candy, but I want candy. No, no, I'm sorry, son, you can't have candy. But I want it, I want it, I want it. He goes on the floor screaming, kicking, kicking. The father says, all right, the candy is in the dish in the second cupboard. Go help yourself as much as you want. We'd obviously say this father is doing a very, very poor job of parenting. Now let's look at us. Let's look at this world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the director. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is running this world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a being, what we understand of him, he is a being that is, wants to be native, that wants to give out good. And we are here in this world, and our understanding of the situation, compared to Hashem's understanding, is much less then the diff- is a much greater difference than the difference in understanding between the kids in the orphanage and the director. And Hashem wants to give us good. And Hashem knows what we need. So whether or not we daven and ask for it, if it's good for us, Hashem should go ahead and give it to us. And if it's not good for us, as many hours and as many times a day that we stand there with the sitter in our hand and the tears streaming down our faces. Hashem, please. (laughs) Who are we kidding? If it's not good for us, there is no way that He should go ahead and give it to us. So what is the point of davening? Why cry? Why should we go stand before Hashem three times a day, religiously, and we go through all of these requests, all of these things that we need, what's the point? Hashem, you're a native. You want to give out good. If we need it, give it to us. Regardless of our asking. And if it's not good for us, don't give it to us, please, as much as we beg. So what is the point of doctrine? The Gemara Yivonis makes a very interesting observation. Of the Imahos, of the four Imahos, three of them were barren, were akarot, couldn't give birth, and then with their tefillah, they were able to give birth. The Gemara asks, why did Hashem make it that way? The Gemara answers, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is mis'aveh letefillah son shel tzaddikim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu mis'ave, he desires, he wants the tefillah of the tzaddikim. Why in the world should Hashem want this tefillah? 
Right away in Bracious, we see the same thing. The Pusik says, the grass had not yet started to grow. Because Hashem had not yet brought any rain onto the earth. Therefore, all was set, ready to go, ready to grow, but there was no rain, so it did not yet begin. Why? Rashi explains the Pusik, why didn't it rain yet? The Adam Ayin Lavod Esha Adama. Because there was not yet man to work the earth. Rashi says, because there was not a man to work the, uh, the earth, there was not anyone yet who recognized the good in rain. And when man came and saw that understood that this rain, rain was necessary for the world, his father, he davened for it. The yardu and the rains came down. This is very strange. Hashem created the world in a way that in order for it to exist and function, there must be rain. The world cannot exist without rain. That's the way He, God, made the world. But He won't give that rain until man will ask for it. Why? Is this some sort of a, a power trip? This ego trip? I've got it. I can give it to you, but ask me for it. Like, what's going on? Why would Hashem set it up in a way that we need it? He's willing to give it to us, but we have to ask for it. So one of the understandings in tefillah is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of course, is not on an ego trip. He's not on a power trip. But rather... The whole purpose of our being in this world with Hashem hiding Himself away is in order for us to work and to build a Kesher, to build a relationship, to make a connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the degree of that relationship that we build here in this world when He's not readily accessible, that will determine the degree of the relationship that we'll have once we enter the next realm and we go leave our physical bodies and ha- can have a Kesha with Hashem, the amount, the degree, the depth of the Kesha, that, the, the relationship that we'll have with Him then will depend on the relationship that we forged here in this world. The Maral says the greatest Gehenna, much harsher that any fire imaginable is when a person feels, senses, perceives HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there and you have this incredible, you're in, drawn to Him and the door is slammed. You're not allowed. You can't. You're separated. Now, with that understanding, we could see how this tanai, this clause that Hashem puts in, that we've got to ask for something, is an incredible gift for us. It's an incredible opportunity for us. Because we all know ourselves very well. When everything's going well, and everyone's healthy, and there are no problems, then, if and when we daven, 
It's a very, very rote, mechanical action that we go through. When we hear that one of our friends, let's say, when we hear about Michael, let's say, that he's got a serious, serious illness, all of a sudden, our complacency gets jolted a little bit. All of a sudden, we recognize that we're not really in control here. We can't call the shots. This world goes by at a pace that leaves us to the side, and we just try to catch up sometimes. But we're not in control, and we don't know what's going to be. And that is a blessed wake-up call for us when there are some problems that go on around that jolts us. And all of a sudden, what do we start to do? We start to daven. We don't daven. Don't daven. When we say daven, we think davening is... We don't daven. All of a sudden, we stop davening. And we start to communicate. We start to connect to Hashem. We start to relate to Him. We start to understand that there are things that we need that only He can give to us. And we start to forge a relationship with Him. Adam Arishon, even Adam on his madrega, when he davened for the rain and the rain came, there was an appreciation. There was a kesher. There was a relationship being built. Now when the rain comes, it builds a bond. If things come just in a haphazard way, if it just rains, right? Mitzrayim doesn't need any rain. They get all the water from the Nile. There Hashem saying, don't call me. Don't bother with, don't bother me. Take care of yourselves. But in Eretz Yisrael, where we need every drop of the rain, so when we dive in and the rain comes, we feel something. We feel a connection. If it would just come all the time, then it wouldn't mean anything to us. That would push us away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a word they say by the Nachash. The curse of the Nachash is that he'll eat offer, he'll eat from the, from, the, from the dust. So they ask, what kind of a curse is that? That's an incredible bracha. That's an incredible bracha. Wherever he goes, he has what to eat. He eats from the earth. Wherever he goes as earth, he's got a constant supply of food. What's the klala? What's the curse that was given to the nachash, to the snake? Mepharshim explained, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to him, you know what? You've got all the food you need. That's your curse. Why is it your curse? Hashem says, don't call me. Don't speak to me. Don't bother me. I'm giving you all of your needs so I don't have to hear your sickening voice. That was the klala of the nachash. And the bracha, the bracha is that Kodesh Baruch Hu wanted those imahos to daven. He's misavah for that tefillah. Not because he needs the feeling of power, because he wanted to bring out from them the kochos that they had to become the imahos to become the mothers of all Klai Yisrael. And the only way to bring out those kochos was if they would be forced to connect to Hashem on the most intimate of levels. To daven and daven and daven and connect and connect. 
and thereby appreciate what they don't have and understand who can give it to them and appreciate it when they do get it and appreciate where they got it from. And to build that relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, which enabled them to become the mothers of Klai Yisrael. And that's how it is with us also. There are things that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is willing to give to us. If it's bad for us, we're not going to get it. I mean, it's an Eitz Tov, and then when we daven and we ask for something, we should say Litov. We should put in that we recognize Hashem Litov. If it's for good, we're asking for it. But we're accepting that you know what's best for us. And if you're not going to give it to us, we understand it's not good for us. A person wants to complain to a rough. God doesn't answer my tefillahs. What do you mean? I've been davening and davening and davening and I don't get it. The Rav said to him, maybe God is hearing your tefillahs. Maybe God is answering your tefillahs. Maybe he's saying no. Understanding that a Gosh Baruch Hu is going to give us what, if it's not good for us, we won't get it. But if it is good for us, we're not just going to get it because that's going to cause us to become distanced from him. That would be the greatest act of cruelty that a Kaddish Baruch Hu could do. Just give us all of our needs. We never bother or need or want to connect to Him. Go through our whole life without building a relationship with Him and then being left for eternity without having a relationship with Him. So one of the understandings in tefillah is understanding that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is willing to give it to us, but he wants us to ask for it in order that we'll appreciate that it's coming from him, that will force us to do the most important thing that we could ever do in our lifetime. It'll force us to make a connection to him. The Sefer Ikarim gives a different understanding, a different explanation. Let's go back again. We began, if it's good for us, Hashem should give it to us if we don't ask. And if it's not good for us, Hashem should not give it to us even if we do ask for it. So why not? There are certain things that at a certain point of a person's life might not be good for him. But then he undergoes certain changes he becomes somewhat different. And all of a sudden, what wasn't good for him now becomes good for him. And what might have been bad for him, what might have been good for him might no longer be good for him. As we change, that which is good for us also changes. You hear stories about people who when they were young, 13, 14, 15, they inherited a tremendous sum of money. And because of that, they thought they had their life made for them. And they don't have to bother with schooling. They don't have to make themselves into anything. And they don't make themselves into anything. And then after a while, the money goes, and they're left with nothing. They're left as nothings. Other people, when the money comes to them, if a windfall comes to them, they use it well. Take care of themselves, take care of their family, take care of institutions, take care of different things. They use it well. So it's true that Hashem is not going to give 
us something that's not good for us. But who are we? We're always changing. And what's good for us, therefore, is also always changing. Tefillah is an unbelievable thing. I say, how are you? I say, Echata. Right? Ata is you. I daven and I say, Baruch Ata Hashem. You. You. I'm standing there, three steps back, three steps forward, and all of a sudden the Shechina is in front of me. Baruch Ata. Ata Chonein Adam Das. Unbelievable. We are talking to Hashem. And when a person has a real tefillah, when a person davens and really feels himself connecting, it's an incredible, incredible experience. I mean, chills are shooting up and down your spine and you feel you're really plugging in. You're really, you're not davening. You're connecting. Your mom is connecting to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And that's an incredible experience. And when you take you three steps back, you're not the same person who had taken his three steps forward before you started davening. Tefillah. Tefillah has the ability to change a person. Tefillah can bring about an incredible change in a person. And if the person changes, then what's good for him also changes. So it's not that I'm going to dive in and because I cried and I asked for it, God's going to give me something that's not good for me. What's going to happen is this. When I started davening, it wasn't good for me. When I started davening, if I would win the lottery, that's it. You never see me sitting over there anymore. Backhand, forehand, that's what I'd be doing all day. So for me, winning the lottery would be a terrible thing. But then I took three steps forward. And then I davened. And I connected. And I spoke to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And I had a very, very intense experience. And if not after one time, but after three times, or 30 times, or 100 times or after five years, or ten years, or fifteen years of doing that, my priorities have changed tremendously. And now, if that very same person will win the lottery, he'll continue doing all the mitzvahs that he's doing, and he'll open up this institution and help that orphanage and do this with it and that with it, all of a sudden, he's changed. And that which is good for him has also changed tremendously. So tefillah doesn't change HaKadosh Baruch Hu at all. Hashem is going to give what's good and won't give what's not good. But tefillah has the ability, if we'd only give it a chance, tefillah has the ability to transform us, to change us. And once we're changed, what's good for us also changes tremendously. One other aspect of tefillah, all that we've said makes a lot of sense 
when I'm davening for myself. Hashem's only going to give it to me if I ask for it, because that way I'll be building a Kesha, a relationship with Him. My tefillah will change me, and what's good for me will thereby change. But how does it work? What are the mechanics when you dive in for someone else? What good is it when you go to this tzaddik and he says, yeah, he'll dive in for you. He says it to Hillen with your name in mind. What does that have to do with me? God is dealing with me now. And based on who I am and where I am at this moment, Hashem is giving me exactly what I need. We might perceive it as tov, we might perceive it as ra, it might be perceived as good or as bad, but Hashem is giving me what's best for me. That's an important concept also just for a moment to dwell on that. Adam Arishon was sent out of Gan Eden. He was kicked out of Gan Eden. Punishment. Punishment. Kicked out of Gan Eden. But it wasn't a punishment. He was moved out of one Gan Eden into another Gan Eden. What? What do I mean? Originally on the Madrega that he was on, Gan Eden was the perfect environment for him to be in in order to serve Hashem. But once he ate from the Eitz Hadas and he became more physical and he internalized the desire for physicality, then to be in an environment where all of that is so readily available for him would not be good for him. He now needed to be in an environment where with the sweat of his brow will eat the bread. He'll have to work for things. It won't be so readily accessible because he's being pulled to it too strongly. He's going to have to work for it. It can't be right there for him. So Adam Arishon left Gan Eden. In his original state, that was Gan Eden for him. And once he was changed, the perfect environment for him also changed. And therefore he needed to be, to be banished from Gan Eden into the different environment, which once again for him was Gan Eden, because now in his new state, that was the perfect environment for him to be in, in order for him to be able to grow and maximize his potential with where he was at. So once again, every person, every single one of us, we are in Gan Eden. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending us that which we need in order to bring out our potential, in order to push us to daven, in order to push us to connect to Him, in order to push us to change ourselves. So if every single one of us is in our Gan Eden, meaning that Hashem is giving us the perfect environment that we need to have, so what good is it when one person davens for another. What is accomplished by a tzaddik, by a gadol, giving us a bracha? We say that Hashem is gomel chasadim tovim. 
Hashem gives out good chesed. We say at Sur Tamim Paloki called Rachav Mishpat. Everything that Hashem does is Mishpat. Hashem is the Dayan that is perfect. The judge that is perfect. Everything that comes our way is perfectly judged. Is that such a praise to Hashem? There are some awful good judges in this world also, aren't there? And the truth is that there are not. There is no good judge in this world. A person committed murder. Therefore, he needs to be punished. He might be executed. He might be given life in prison. He deserves that punishment. Granted. How about his wife? What did she do to deserve to have her husband locked up for decades? How about his kids? What did they do to deserve not to have a father? What did they do to deserve having the abuse in school when all their friends laugh at them, ridicule them, that their father is a murderer? What did they do to deserve this? Nothing. But the judge, what can he do? What can the judge do? He's got to deal with this man. And the others who will be affected, who will be hurt along the way, that's not his problem. What can he do? He's not God. But God is. Kosh is the dying emiss. Everything that happens, to the degree that it affects everybody that it affects, they deserve to be affected that much. When Rahman son there's a death in the family. So, and I'm not saying that the family needed to go through tsar, therefore there was a death in the family. This neshama had a certain amount of time that it needed to spend in this world, and then it was going to leave this world. Kadosh Baruch Hu gave that neshama to this person and this family because all those around needed to go through what they're going to go through as a result of this death to the degree that they're going to go through it. The close family members need to go through it to that degree. The more distant family members need to go through it to a lesser degree. The neighbors to a lesser degree. The acquaintances to a lesser degree. And those who read about it in the newspaper and say, oh, even to a much lesser degree. But every single person who's affected there's a judgment that they're going to be affected to that degree. So when someone is sick and we go to a tzaddik, what are we trying to do? Basically, if that person is sick and is deathly sick, it means a Kaddish Baruch Hu judged with perfect judgment that everyone who's going to be affected, to the degree that they're going to be affected, needs to be affected exactly that much. So what do we do? We run to a tzaddik. We try to throw a monkey wrench into the whole works. We go and try to involve someone who was not, who was not yet involved and someone who we're hoping 
is the type of person who will not deserve the amount of tsar, the amount of anguish he's going to have if anything happens to this person. So we go to a tzaddik, we go to a gadol, and we tell him about this person. And he starts to daven for that person. And all of a sudden, he's taking a personal interest in that person. Oh. All of a sudden now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu might have to, so to speak, reshuffle the deck. If anything's going to happen to this person, now he's going to be affected. That tzaddik's going to be affected. He's going to be pained. And he doesn't deserve that pain, we hope. And therefore, Hashem's going to have to do what? Put things on pause. And hopefully, give us a chance to get our own house in order that we ourselves will no longer deserve to have to go through that. But the idea of the tefillah is to try to wake us of Hashem removing Himself, hiding Himself in this world. Had there been less than that, Hashem's presence here would have been so apparent, we wouldn't have had free will. And we wouldn't have deserved the relationship in the next world for making it here, because it would have been so obvious and easy to make the relationship. Had there been 11 steps, Hashem would have been so distant that we wouldn't have been able to find Him, to connect to Him. Therefore, Hashem had the ten utterances to put the world in a certain place. We then had the ten makas, which worked us back up and revealed to us what the world's all about. The aseris hadibros, which revealed to us what the world's all about. But we're far from there now. And we feel distant. And we look around and we only see the physical. The tachlis of our chayim, the reason why each and every one of us was sent to this world was in order to see through that smokescreen, to see through all that's obscuring our vision and understand there's a Kodesh Baruch Hu in the world. And our tachlis here is to connect to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And the way to connect, the way to connect and to change ourselves and to be able to access all that he wants to give to us is through tefillah.